0: The historical record is pretty clear. There was a radical change that took place in the life of Jesus's disciples, and it didn't just take place sort of gradually. This was really something uh, traumatic dramatic that took place pretty much all at once in one fell swoop. These men became committed, committed to loving God and loving one another. They were Uh, unwilling to compromise in in any way whatsoever the confession that Jesus, not Caesar, Jesus is Lord, and they were willing to be persecuted to the uttermost for that. Now why? Well, they knew what had happened. They knew what had happened and they were familiar with, they understood, they were at least beginning to understand the significance of all that it meant. Well, what was it that had happened? The resurrection the resurrection well, what of us are we grappling with that are we grasping with that are we are we getting is it sinking into our minds and hearts the how just just earth shaking paradigm shifting the resurrection of jesus really is studies fairly recent have been done on our contemporaries on american culture as to The question goes something along the lines of, you know, what is Easter? What is it about? And uh, while most folks can point to the fact that it has some religious significance, sadly, for most of our contemporaries, very few are in unity as to what exactly the significance is. Um, It's about spring, it's about new birth, it's about hope, it's about new chances. Oh my goodness, it is so much more than that. But, but do we know that? And uh, th- th- we're just a couple weeks post-Easter, right? Here, here today. Um, do, we, do we grasp what it means? Is there, is there Easter evidence? I guess that's what I'm after. Is there Easter evidence in my life and in yours and ours, really, of that paradigm shift of the res- from the resurrection? Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, this is in the New Testament. This is after the Gospels, the four Gospels, and then after Acts and after Romans. Uh, So we are in 1 Corinthians. Uh, That, of course, comes before 2 Corinthians. But if you found 2 Corinthians, you are close. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read verses 12 through 28 verses 12 through 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. Hear now God's Word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Whereas by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Well, Let's pray together. Lord, please help us understand. Um, we are coming here midway in a much larger discussion in uh, this letter that Paul has written to this church there in the first century city of Corinth. And it was a, a messy church and a messy group of people and he had things he had to confront them on and questions that they were asking and there was the problem of false teaching and misunderstanding about these radically new ideas pertaining to a resurrection. Uh, Yours and ultimately ours and uh, we ask that you would help us to understand. We ask that you would give us ears, we ask you to give us uh, uh, minds that are grappling with these things, Uh, affections, uh, lit a fire for you, if not um, for the first time, then certainly anew, that you would stir uh, embers and and light flame, Um, and that not a single one of us in this room would leave here unmoved, by an encounter with the living God through His living Word, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it was the climax of J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, *The Return of the King* in, in the book. Uh, the brave Hobbit Samwise Gamgee uh, has just begun to recover. And uh, he is shocked to learn that his dear friend, the beloved old wizard Gandalf, is in fact actually alive. He thought for quite some time that Gandalf had perished. And I suppose, if you're familiar with the plot, he did. But he was back. And uh, this is what, how Tolkien uh, writes this. And it's actually the second quote in your quotes and notes if you want to pull this up. The Sam lay back and started with open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last, he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Oh my goodness. What a line. What a line. Is everything sad going to come untrue? My friends, that, that is Easter. Those are Easter echoes coming from middle earth to wherever that is to this earth. That's good news because indeed everything sad is coming untrue. Christianity, despite whatever else you may have been told, Christianity is an historical religion. And by that what I mean is this, it is based in historical events in time and space. Uh, It is simply not the case. No matter what else you have heard, it is simply not the case That when we talk, when Christians talk of the resurrection, we are not by that, we do not mean something mythical. We do not mean just something symbolic. Hardly. We are are not even talking about, I've heard it said this way, maybe some of you have as well, that what it means for Jesus to be resurrected, what it means for Him to live on, is the fact that His teaching lives on in His followers. Just won't cut it. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about resurrection. We're talking about a dead man, flatlined, come out alive, a corpse, getting up and moving and coming forth out of a tomb. That's what we talk That's what we mean when we speak of Jesus' resurrection. That's what we mean when we say that Christianity is an historical religion. It's why we can say with all true hope, not just hope and a, and a wish, but true hope that is anchored in something real. When, when, when It was read earlier from Revelation 21. Jesus saying to the Apostle John years after the events that uh, we're, we're talking about here in, in roughly 33 A.D., we're talking roughly, probably around in the in the 90s when John is writing what he's writing there in Revelation 22. He's a very old man by this point. Uh, when Jesus says, "Behold, I am making all things new," he can say that because this is true. He can say that with with all seriousness because this it's, it's why through the centuries, through the ages, so many have have composed such beautiful. Creeds and confessions along the way, trying to, to capture something of the significance and the wonder of all of this. And so there, there is, a, is a quote, again, right below the one from Samwise, which is not quite on the level of a creed or a confession, but it's close. The Heidelberg Catechism, mid uh, 16th century, the, the question picks up, you know, on through the, the, the way. Question number 45 How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? It's real, you see. So it does have, can we just say, benefits. How does it benefit us? First, by His resurrection, He has overcome death so that He could make us share in the righteousness which He had obtained for us by His death. Second, by His power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. It comes back to the reality of that greeting that we shared together at the beginning of the service. You don't have to respond this time, but I'm just going to say it. Christ is risen, which means everything, indeed everything said, is going to come untrue. It does mean, in fact, that He has come to make all things new. Oh, that we would then lay hold of that and live out of that. That we would lay hold of that and live out of that. Really, truly hearing it and embracing it. There's three things I want to look at here together this morning. Um, Three ways in which we need to do, in in, in fact, do need to lay hold of that. Um, Three ways, in fact, that you could say He's come to make all things new. He's come to give us a new past. He's come to, yes, historical revisionism. You could put it that way. He's come to give us a new past, a new present, and a new future. And The degree to which we are laying hold of those things, it'll change your life. It'll absolutely, positively upend your life or transform it from the inside out. The degree to which we understand He has come to give us a new past, a new present, and a new future. All right, well, let's look at this together. Okay, so the Heidelberg Catechism, the first one, new past, first part. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by His resurrection, He has overcome death so that he could make a share in the righteousness by which he obtained for us, or which he obtained for us by his death. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, alludes to this, starting in verse 17. And if Christ, now he's putting it in the negative, so, so you know, kind of read it and understand what the, the positive connotation of that would be. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ... We have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. But of course, if he has been raised, then that flips all of that, doesn't it? Um, You see, Jesus is coming forth from the grave. His resurrection was part of his saving work. It's part of his saving work. Nothing would have been accomplished. Nothing would have been uh, achieved. There would have been no conquest of sin or death or Satan without the resurrection. He's just one more dead man with a lot of big promises without the resurrection. But with the resurrection, there is a victory. And we as His people share in the spoils of that victory such that sin has been vanquished It's power over us broken. Satan has been defeated. He doesn't seem to know that, but he has been and ultimately will be crushed in the end. And death itself is dead in the ultimate sense because of, as a consequence of, the resurrection. The resurrection is part of his saving work. But then here's the 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 sub-point. It's part of His saving us. It's also the resurrection. It's also part of His proof to us. Because think with me. How do you know that He's done what He said He would do? Right? How can we know for certain all of these things have actually taken place? How, how do we know that He is who He said He is without the resurrection? But we, with that, we do know. We do know, in fact, that He is the second person of the Trinity, that he is in, in fact the Son of God, that he is in fact fully God and fully man, because he did in fact come forth. We know who he is. We have proof with the resurrection of that. We also then have proof of what he's done. He's done what he said he was due. Here's some, I'm going to give you some big fancy words. His work of expiation. A, these are theologians, kick these terms around, but it does mean something. His work of expiation, the removal of all of our guilt and shame is real because of the resurrection. His work of redemption of setting us free from the enslavement to sin's power by the paying of his own blood in our behalf. That work of redemption is done. It's, it's real. His, his work of reconciliation, making us right with God is real. His Work of, of propitiation, the appeasing of God's just wrath due upon us is real. And we could go on and on. It's all, But it's, it, we have the proof of that. We can see, in fact, that he has done all those things that he said that he had come to do. Let me give you an analogy. Think, think about it this way. And the necessity that we have to, to have the proof for this. Some of you may have heard that... Um, Uh, Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford are conspiring together now to, to, yes, it's true, to film an Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark 5. There's another one coming in just the next few years. Um, Now, based on the plot lines from all the other films, I'm going to make a supposal as to a scene that may well take place in Indiana Jones 5. Okay? So, Indy is wrestling, he's, he's dueling it out with some big baddie, okay? And they're, they're at some ancient site and there's some artifact, of course, that they both want to get their hands on and they're wrestling for control in the midst of this for a gun. And they're right on the edge of, 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 a, of, a, of a hole, a dark hole, and they both fall into it. And we can hear, as the audience, we can hear the scuffle and the fight continuing. But we can't see anything. And then we hear a shot. And a body hit the floor. Was it Indy? Was it the other guy? What's going to cut the knife of the tension? How will we know? We won't know until he comes crawling up out of the hole. Now that's our, I know, a lowbrow way. Of trying to illustrate this point, but my point is simply this that now with the resurrection, we know. You see, we know he's come forth. He has come forth from that dark, dark hole. Or if I can put it this way, how does the Christian, how does the resurrection benefit you? He has come to give you a new pass. He has done what it is that he said he was going to do, and we can know it. He has done what he said he had come to do, and we can really know that, that, that there is um, with, because of the proof we have, there's nothing now to prove. We have nothing to prove. Because of what he's done, there's nothing left for us to do, or has been wisely said, no time, no, no few times by wiser folks than me, because of the finished work of Jesus. There is nothing that you or I can do to make God love you any more than He already does. And there is nothing that you can fail to do to make Him love you any less. Our hope is secure because of of Jesus. You have a new past. It's done. It's all done. It's it's done done. Now that ought to encourage and inflame within our hearts a desire to, to serve Him. Not that we might then win His approval, but because in Christ we already have it. That ought to then inflame and encourage our desire to serve Him all the more. And we, oh my friends, if we could just think on that more and lay hold of that and live out of that, that would be resurrection life. But it's not just that He's given us a new past. He's given us a new present as well. And again, the Heidelberg Catechism speaks to this in that second answer. So the question is, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Answer, skipping down. By His power, we too are raised up to a new life. What does it mean to be raised up to a new life? It means at least these things. I will tell you, we could probably spend all afternoon on this question alone. But I'm just going to give you three quick things. And first would be an assurance an assurance that, in fact, uh, we know what God is like. Now, I'm not just saying we know what, that there's a God, because, frankly, even without the resurrection, we've got some clues. If you look simply at the design, the intricate design, whether with a telescope or a microscope, the, the design of creation, that's a, that's a that's testimony, that's a indicator that there is a designer. Or if you simply examine your heart and, and the... The testimony, the, the, um, the witness of your conscience. That again is something that, that points towards the fact that there is a God. But you see, with the resurrection, we know now it's not just that there is a God, we can see something of what He's like that He is powerful, that He is merciful, that He is faithful, that He is kind, that He is gracious. Even to those such as, as us, or you could look at First Corinthians 15:15, 15, 15. again, flipping it the way you know, because Paul is stating this negatively, we are even found to be misrepresenting God, if we're talking about the, the resurrection. You see, the resurrection represents something about God. It really, truly does. It tells us some things about what He is like and who He is. It also, not just an assurance though, it also gives us meaning in life. Honestly, I would say without the resurrection, we have no clue if there is any meaning or purpose or direction to life whatsoever. You just can't know. I mean, like, really, really know for sure without the resurrection. And then, even if you make a good stab at the, you know, maybe you're convinced that there is, even so, you can't know what it is and why we're here. And what it's for. But with the resurrection, we have certainty and meaning and purpose and direction. And Paul speaks to that as he continues on through 1 Corinthians 15. I'll just show you a couple places. Verse 32, he says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Ah, but if the dead are raised. You see? And skipping down to the last verse of the chapter, verse 58. Therefore, now now he's speaking positively in this case. You don't even have to turn and flip it. Therefore, you know, based on everything that I've said so far, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Or as C.T. Studd said years and years ago, he was a British cricket player as well as poet. Interesting callings. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. He was right. It speaks very much out of what we're seeing here in 1 Corinthians 15. So we have here an assurance of what God is like. We have real meaning and purpose and certainty in life and new life. Real life. Um, Verses 21-22. Listen to what Paul says here. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul is saying here that, that, look, at one time, follower of Jesus, at one time you were but united to Adam in his fall. United to him in all of his guilt, in all of his shame. And that because of your union with him, he fell, you fell with him. But if you are in Christ... That is completely changed. United to Him, one with Him. You died with Him. You were raised with Him. You have new life. Resurrection life. He tells us even in Ephesians that the life, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within you, O oh Christian. Even now, not later, Now. So change is possible. Do you see that? The, there are possibility, possibilities laid out and forth. Just think with me who the author is. Saul the Pharisee, now Paul the Apostle. Is change possible? Because of the resurrection? Yes. How about the audience? These crass pagan, and I use that term charitably, these crass pagan Corinthians now saint, struggling, yes, but nonetheless, beloved of God. Oh my goodness, is change not possible. And, and I say that, I, I want to encourage you, I hope that encourages you, I know it does me. It gets me up some mornings. Um, and helps me sleep when I lay my head down. You know, there, there are, for all of us, I think some seemingly, and I want to use that word purposefully, seemingly immovable objects in our lives. I mean, it's sort of like seemingly immovable. We thought they were, but they're not. Like, like the Cape Hatter's lighthouse, right? Uh, there on the outer banks of North Carolina. Up until just a few years ago, that wonderful old stately structure was in danger of being swept into the surf until some engineers and funding got together and they figured out a way to secure that beastie, jack it up, and move it. In one piece, not brick by brick, but I mean like in one, a thousand feet, I think it is, inland. You see, a supposedly immovable object was moved. Now, we're not talking about engineers here and the state of North Carolina funding. We're talking about now the power of the resurrection. Seemingly immovable things in your life and my life that can be moved, that can be changed. Let me give you some examples. That seething anger that you know is a real problem. That crippling insecurity. That hellish self-centeredness. That addiction that you've just gotten to be accustomed to. Or that relationship that you just assume is dead. My friends, those are all seemingly immovable Objects. Praise God for the resurrection. That we have not just a new past, but a new present. And these are things we, again, we need to lay hold of and live out of. Lastly, a new future. Heidelberg Catechism. Again, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Paul, verses 20 and following. In chapter 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Skipping down to verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Now, obviously, this imagery of first fruits, he's saying that Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of your own. Now, that is an agricultural metaphor that people in that culture, and maybe some of you, get. Most of us probably don't because we're not nearly as connected to the land as our our predecessors. So let me try and explain what what this meant. The image of of first fruits was two things. First, it was an an indication of what was coming and a guarantee of what was coming in terms of harvest. First, indication. By the first fruit, that's the first fruit of of the harvest. You can see, oh, those are grapes. So it's not oranges, the next thing. It's grapes because that's. That's the first fruit of that particular harvest. So what what Paul means by that as far as an indication, when we see Jesus' resurrection body, the point is that tells us something about what our own resurrection body is going to be like. You see, it's wonderful. Go back and reread the Gospel accounts. The the writers of the Gospels are very intentional in the physicality of Jesus' resurrection body. He tells tells his disciples again and again, Touch me! I'm hungry. Got anything to eat. Why? Because he's pressing on the reality, the realness of what's coming that is not an ethereal Neverland. What awaits? It's our real, restored, renewed selves on a real, restored, new earth. And it is not an ethereal Neverland. It is real and solid And that is what awaits. And that's part of the indication of the first fruits of what we see there. But not just that, but a guarantee. Because the fact that the first fruits have come is a sure certainty, a preview of what is then coming with the harvest. So, Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb, tells us that ours will be also. That there is a resurrection, our resurrection, that is certain and, and and to be hmm, awaited. Now we don't know how. I can't even pretend to tell you how. God is going to reassemble our molecules, whether from the sky or the ocean or the dirt. I don't know. But he can do it. That's really not a problem when you think about it. The creator of all things, pulling literally, all that together. That's really not a problem. We do know this. We don't know how he's going to do that. We know that somehow, in some way, our bodies, our resurrection bodies, and this earth as well, is going to be in some way, on the one hand, like it is now, but unlike it is now. Like it is now in that it is this body, it is this earth, and yet at the same time, it's made new and whole and restored. Look, th- things are not as they should be. I, like, he has a news flash. Yeah, Things are not as they should be. We know that. You have an instinctive sense of the fallenness of your heart and this whole creation around you. You know down deep in your being that things are not as they should be. Now, hear the other side of that. Things are not as they forever will be. Things are not as they forever will be. This broken world. One day there will be no more cancer, no more disease, no more tsunamis, no more famines, no more weeds growing up in the garden of any kind, real or metaphorical. Our relationships. No more hiding. No more secrets. No more shame. No more divisions. No more turning of the back. None of that. Ourselves made whole, physically. Physically whole. Spiritually whole. Face to face with Jesus. Like Him. Like Him. Finally. Uh, fi- are you sick of yourself? I'm sick of me. You're probably sick of me. I know I'm sick of me. It's okay. Me's going to be new. <laughs> Same with you. That is coming. And I think we all understand how this dynamic plays itself out and the difference that that can make. You know, when you know what's coming, it makes it easier to hang on a little longer, doesn't it? I mean, some of you are in school. You're, you're almost at the end of the semester. Hang on. I don't know what your semester or your quarter or whatever system you're on is like. I know it's stunk. I'm sorry. Hang on. It's almost done. Hang on. Um, the, uh, the job assignment you've got, you're like, oh, my goodness. I mean, who it is that you have to report to and all that stuff, but you, you know, maybe you've got some rough idea of a calendar, and and you know how much longer you've got to endure it, and it just okay, then you can just you know it's not forever, so it's just hang on. That wrenching, awful deployment, you know, whichever end you're on, here or there, but you know it's not forever. Hang on. Now, what if you've got the this, this ultimate hang on, this this ultimate. Reunion, this ultimate renewal, this ultimate restoration that then promises us of of something beautiful and powerful and traumatic and dramatic that is coming. Hang on! Hang on! Christian, you have a new future. You have a new past, you have a new present, and you have a new future. Let me end with with this. Um, Some of you may may know um, the... Civil War, this weekend, the Civil War effectively ended this weekend 151 years ago. I say effectively because not actually. Um, because what, what happened at Appomattox when General Lee surrendered to General Grant was but, I mean Lee only has but so much authority, all he can do is surrender the Army of Northern Virginia. The war is actually not over yet. Yet. You need to understand that there were forces, Confederate forces spread all throughout the South. And you don't have the ability to you know, instant text people and let, let folks know what happened at Appomattox. So you've got forces spread all... It took weeks just for the normal channels to work. And then you've got situations like a poor guy named Stan Waddy. I think is how to pronounce his last name. Stan Waddy, who was a Cherokee put in charge of the 1st Indian Brigade way out west. It was two months after Appomattox that he surrendered. It was four months after that that the CSS Shenandoah sailed into Liverpool and surrendered. But the thing is is that once the news spread, however long it took, once the news spread, it did demand a response. Lay down. Now here's the thing, we don't have news of a defeat. I'm speaking, to you know, we're kind of in the south, so that's the angle I'm taking with this. If we were in the north, I'd take a different angle with this. But okay, we're in in Tennessee. So the news that we need to hear is not the news of of a defeat that Lee has surrendered, but that Christ is risen. Now that demands a response. If it's true, it demands a response. If it's true, it demands a response. Because what it means then is, as Samwise said, everything sad is coming untrue. Or even better, as Jesus promises, Behold, I am making all things new. Do you believe that? is it settling into your bones that because of Jesus, you have a new past, a new present, and a new future. Let's pray. Lord, we confess right here at the outset immediately after thinking about this, processing this, that we really are accustomed though to our feelings of oh, the, the baggage we carry. And that sometimes that sense of meaninglessness and that sense of hopelessness, we're just used to that. And, and we, we're bombarded with those kinds of messages all the time. And even this news is wondrous and amazing as it is to think of, of you coming forth from that tomb there just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Even, even historically verified as it can be, it's just hard for us to believe. Because we're just not used to dead men getting up and walking. And and we're not used to thinking about life being that promising. So we ask that you would overcome our skepticism and our cynicism and our doubts and how we're used to thinking. And you would give us the, the, the necessary paradigm shifts to hear the good news that Indeed, You've come to make all things new, including us. From In the inside out, starting, starting yesterday. And flowing into today and moving on into tomorrow. We ask that You help us to lay hold of that and live out of it. In Your name we pray. Amen.